What's going on, everybody, and welcome to the Battlefield Theologian Podcast. My name is Ethan Jago, and I am your host. This is for individuals who wish to wage war against a secular culture and are willing to stand their ground on scriptural truth and Christian doctrine. Guys, I'm sorry that it's been a while since the last podcast. I actually recorded one last week uh, with a special guest, Clinton Harris. However, something was messed up with the audio, so I've got to re-edit and reshoot that, but I'm excited in it because we covered a lot of topics and so be looking for that one in the future. This podcast, we're going to be looking at, as you can see from the title, No More Beta Males. And this is probably, and maybe maybe not, I don't know, uh, what you may be expecting. Um, but this is a podcast uh, for men uh, about how to be a godly man, what's a biblical man looking like. And uh, I brought this up uh, because today I want to look at the sad state of men in America And I'm bringing this up because there's a social media photo that's been circulating around from the Hollywood Reporter called The Triumph of the Beta Male. Now, this came out in March of 2018. However, I just started seeing this recirculating, and it's honestly, it's a ridiculous, stupid photo. It's four dudes standing in line, and they have their hands in each other's pockets, and it's supposed to be uh, attempting a humor uh, joke, if you will of uh, their HBO show called Silicon Valley, which I've never watched it. I don't plan on watching it. I have no desire to watch it. And it's supposed to be funny, but in reality, uh, it's showing, in my opinion, and revealing a sad, dark, deeper issue that's lurking in the media's attempts at subverting and downplaying masculinity. Now, when you think beta male, don't worry, I'm not here to bash beta males and alpha males and all that other stuff, but you have on both sides of the coin, you have alpha and beta males. So let me define what I mean by alpha male uh, as to like the actual definition. An alpha male, uh, according to several different things, I mean, you can find so many varying degrees of what this is, um, but alpha male means this is a determined individual. They're not held back by fear, comfortably takes the lead. A beta male, however, is having mid-levels of social confidence and self-assurance, mid-levels of insecurity, nervousness, and fear in social situations. They follow the lead of the alpha male because he's either too afraid or lacks the confidence and belief in himself to be the leading male. Now, typically, when you see these two types of males being described, that usually is in the context and in the realm of sexual promiscuity and the amount of influence an individual or man has over others. And I think that a lot of guys... Uh, that I talk to, that I follow, and everything else, like to assert or view themselves as alpha males. But my question is, is every time I see this, the videos, the quotes, or whatever the thing is, um, where are they comparing and what are they comparing themselves to on the measure of what does it mean to be alpha? Uh, Who or what are they comparing themselves to? Well, I personally believe um, a lot of this is being compared to what you see in action movies. Uh, I think a lot of men like to kind of Uh, And don't get me wrong, I enjoy movies as well, but I think men are comparing themselves to movie characters like John Wick, Vin Diesel, any of the Marvel movies, any of the DC movies, uh, or any other action movies. And when you watch these movies, uh, you typically see that the main protagonist of the film is usually what you would see as an alpha male, and it looks like them winning arguments, they're not taking trash by anybody they're willing to stand their ground and punch anyone in the face who says something different to them and they beat their chest to make sure that everyone in the room knows that there's an alpha in the room they come in size up the competition and they go after what they want and they won't take no for an answer uh now what i've also seen too is uh another type of alpha male that we see in the movies that a lot of men i think identify with is 
the alpha male would take the role of an individual who has a high amount of influence uh, or a level of academic prowess that makes everyone around them feel inferior to them because they do not know what they have or they don't have what they possess. Basically, what this is, is it's all about the individual and it's all about other individuals having to vocalize and verbalize, you are an alpha. You are such an incredible guy. You are powerful, influential. I wish that I could be more like you. And they post videos and quotes and stoic quotations. And it, it just makes me laugh. Every time I see these posts of these guys asserting that they're alpha, trying to push that they're alpha, or these other guys like trying to say it's not bad to be a beta or it's not bad. It's like, can we just do away with that? Can we do away with that? And for Christians, man, I'm, I'm hoping that you guys don't get caught up in this masculinity competition, macho bravado uh, to now try and compare yourself with the culture and to be like, you know what, if other men are doing this, I need to do this too. And with all of this stuff, there's a lot of different varying views and opinions on this. Um, but essentially what it comes down to uh, when you think about alpha versus beta is that being an alpha male is supposed to be some mindset or some character trait that if you try hard enough and you do manly things, you will attain this status. Um, I see a lot of guys, you know, going out and doing outdoor things, lifting weights and doing other stuff, which is awesome. I'm not condemning that. I, I enjoy doing all of that. But just because you do that doesn't mean that it, it's going to make you alpha. Just because you can pick up heavy things and put them down doesn't mean that you're an alpha. Just because you can go out there and shoot, uh, do three gun competitions doesn't mean that you're alpha. Uh, it's not a mindset. It's not a character trait. Uh, it's more, for Christians, it's much more deeper than that. It's the way in which you conduct your life and how and what you are building your life on. Now, when you think about this, um, I, I want you guys to kind of think about for us as Christians, for men as Christians, we are called and we are held to a measurable standard where the culture is trying to compare men with movie characters and book plot lines and other highly influential authors and everything else. Uh, I mean, there's no shortage of these books on how to be a man. If you just do a simple Google search, you'll see all of this and you'll see this section of alpha males being described. And what's interesting about this uh, as I was doing some research in this, there's a study that came out in 1941, and it's called The Mask of Sanity. And in this, uh, this individual connected with uh, adolescents imprisoned um, with uh, character traits and mindset traits of individuals who have psychopathic or psychopathic tendencies. And he described, Cleckley describes it this way, described the key traits of psych, psych wow, I can't talk today. Uh, psychopathic behaviors as arrogance and superficial charm. And he emphasizes low levels of guilt and empathy, as well as high levels of recklessness and irresponsibility. I'm pretty sure that that definition is what many men would probably identify as being an alpha. This is a guy who has a high amount of self-confidence to a, a level of arrogance, uh, a type of charm that can just swoon the ladies and influence men to be, uh, you know, more like them. And it, honestly, it reminds me of that Dos Equis commercial, the, the most interesting man in the world, which I find those hilarious, uh, especially some of those audios are going viral. 
but it's essentially like men want to be him. Men look up to him. Men want to replace, you know, themselves as that type of a person. And if you view it in your mind and you say it enough, eventually you will become that type of a person. Now, there's a huge issue with that. Um, the, the problem is, is that in so many ways, um, it's not one, it's not being held to a biblical standard. And for Christians, everything we do has to flow from or point back to scripture. Um, and also it's, it, there's another kind of hidden enemy, I think. And honestly, it's been showing its face more and more is the media and the culture, um, going on the offensive, attacking men to not be men. And they're calling it now toxic masculinity. Um, and what, what's really interesting about this is that a lot of these men, a lot of men these days, uh, obviously women face these pressures too, is that Pew Research conducted a survey, right? They conducted a survey looking at and viewing Americans' view on masculinity. And the survey found was quite interesting. They found that many men say that they face at least some pressure to engage in activities that are sometimes associated with traditional masculinity. Okay, so what? Well, more than 8 in 10 say men face pressure to be emotionally strong, with 41% saying men face a lot of pressure in this area. About 6 in 10, 57% say men face pressure to be willing to throw a punch if provoked. 45% say men face pressure to join in when other men talk about women in sexual ways. And 40% say men face pressure to have many sexual partners. In an article published uh, titled The Volatile Male, it shows statistical evidence for toxic masculinity. And the author, Joe Duncan, writes this. The world has changed with the advent of civilization and the creation of a new civilized society that we inhabit today, leaving many men to question just what exactly are they to do with their maleness? That to me is just, I don't know how you can respond to that. What are you supposed to do with your maleness? You're a man, right? You are a man. God designed and created you to be a man. And with that comes responsibilities. With that comes requirements. With that comes a way of carrying yourself, a way of behaving, an ethical and moral value state based off of scripture for how you are to be. So if you don't know what to do with your maleness, I mean, here's the here's a summation of my podcast, but I'm going to go into it more and provide you with more specific scriptural examples is know the Bible. That's it. If you know the Bible, you know what to do with your maleness. You know how to lead. You know how to influence others. You, you don't need to go to all of these other books that so many men are going to thinking that this is going to give them the secret ingredient to becoming more of a man, that this is going to give them, you, you know, the, the mindset uh, formula for being the man that they need to be for their wife, that I want my wife to look up to me and to respect me. And I want my children to obey me and to follow me. And I want them to think I'm a cool dad. I want them to think I'm a good dad. I want my wife to just be attracted to me only. I want my wife to, uh, you know, just, just, drop her jaw when I walk in the door and I'm like, what's up, babe? I'm home. <laughs> I think that's, uh, I mean, maybe that's a little outlandish there, but I think that's like what a lot of people think about being a man and what to do with your manliness. Now, I I'm not going to lie. Growing up, I was heavily influenced in Western movies. Um, growing up, my poppy, uh, I remember at a very young age, exposed me to the, the great movie called Tombstone. And in that Tombstone movie, um, you know, and even Clint Eastwood and John Wayne, um, I remember watching these movies and just finding myself in awe of these men who stood up and these bleak, dark circumstances 
and despite the pleads of others to not go, to not go up, you're going to get killed, you're certain death. And they would stand up because they had to defend the weak, the innocent and the fatherless. Now the movies portray men in a similar fashion, but the approach and motivation is different. Now, I'm not saying that the older movies are better than the newer movies. I'm not saying that. Um, but what's happening now is that now these men, instead of standing up for like good behavior to do the right thing, these men are standing up because there's a darkness inside of them. And they're scared that if they don't harness this darkness and if they don't use this in the right approach or the right medium, they might harm innocent people. So instead of harming the innocent, they're going to become vigilantes. They're going to go after mafia bosses, the neighborhood gang members, the cartels. And all of that, ladies and gentlemen, is a poor, low, wrong view about masculinity and what it means to be an alpha male, about what it means to be a Christian alpha male. So I'm not defining Christian alpha male based off of the earlier definition. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is society is calling the actions of men stepping up and being man, men as being toxic. It's too, too macho bravado. It's too much of this patriarchal mindset, and we've got to go down with the establishment. But in fact, and in essence, as much as our society wants to feminize men, they want to downplay masculinity. They want to say that it's toxic. Our society needs men to step up to be masculine men, but in the right way. Now, as Christian men, specifically as Christian men, I'm, from this point on, I'm only going to be talking to Christian men about how to be an alpha Christian male, how to be a God-fearing, God-loving, God-honoring, incredibly dedicated to him and him alone men. When you see Christian men, we must model proper behavior, proper conduct, and what men are supposed to be. And we must model this for other men, for our kids, for others' sake of their children, for our wives, and how we treat our wives and everything else. Within the sphere, however, of Christian masculinity, there's a preponderance amount of books uh, of men in these ministries coming out with several viewpoints of what it means to be a man. And sadly, in a lot of these viewpoints, um, I think they fall short. I think they don't handle the text accurately for their biblical support. Uh, and I think it oversteps and the pendulum swings too far to the right. So we've got society where the pendulum is way to the left. And then we've got the evangelical manly circles, if you will. I hate even saying it. That sounds weird. Um, where the pendulum swings to the right. Now, in this view the way in which I've seen a lot of these men, not all of them, but a lot of these books that I've been seeing and posts and everything else, they use scripture and focus on women and they focus specifically on the submission of women to their husbands, which is in fact a biblical principle. However, they overstep and assume that leading your wife takes the form of being a type of dictator or ruling with a heavy hand or by being a man you jump up and you make demands of your wife to please you when you want it, to cook when you want it, to clean when you want it, to do what I want when I want it. If you don't, I will use scripture to condemn you. Uh, no, not okay. This is violating the woman and how God views her. Now, let me say this. Your wife, for men who are married, and if men you are looking at getting married, I want you to understand this because when you understand this, your marriage is going to go so much smoother, so much sweeter. You will still have issues, of course, because we're still living in a depraved nature and culture and everything else. 
But when you understand that your wife is first and foremost your sister in Christ, that's key. Your wife is first your sister in Christ before she is your wife. Your wife is in covenant with God, a more important covenant with God than she is in covenant with you. As men, we are to love our wives as we love our own bodies. Now, a verse in a passage that many men use to support their stance on ruling with a heavy hand and telling the wives, you must submit to me, is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 through 16. I'm going to unpack this real quick briefly for you. Now, this is Paul saying this to the church in Corinth. I'm going to read it. Now, I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. So looking at this verse, Christ is the head of every man. So man gives an account to Christ. A woman is her headship falls within her husband, which is then the man. Why? Well, because God is the head of Christ. We are both made in the image of God, but yet there are still gender roles and distinctions between the man and the woman that we must understand. Verse 5 says this, But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying shames her head, for she is one and the same as a woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also shave her hair, have her hair cut short. But it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut short or her head shaved. Let her cover her head. So this section here, Paul does a word play on head and headship. So he uses the word interchangeably by the head of the wife and then the head, the physical head of a woman. And what typically happens is men will take this passage and say, see, women, you 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 got to have super long hair. You've got to have it, you know, all the way down here. You can't shave or cut your hair uh, or anything else like that. But that borderline dances into a realm of legalism. Um, there is definitely some principles in this about the hair being the woman's glory and beauty. But what it really is saying here is found, I believe, in verse 7. For a man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. See, since Paul's using this word play here with the head and the glory, and he's identifying and appealing back to creation about the headship of man and women and their interconnectivity of relationships, what we see here is that the woman, in verse 7, is the glory of man, and man... He is the image and glory of God. So what we see is that a man is distinct and separate from a woman, yet still equal in the eyes and the view of God. But yet man is not to rule his wife with a heavy, thick, laid on her kind of hand and force submissiveness. Your wife should desire to be submissive to you if you are leading her the right way. And if you look at this in verse 7, if a woman is the glory of man, how should I then treat my wife if she is the glory of me? You should treat her better than you treat yourself. You should prioritize her more than you prioritize herself, yourself. You should prioritize her needs well before you prioritize your needs. But sadly, that doesn't happen. The amount of men that I know that are spending more and more time outside of the home with their extracurricular activities as if they're still somehow, I don't know, hoping that they're going to get recruited to be a professional golfer or basketball player, or video game player. They spend more time doing that and less time investing emotionally and physically and spiritually with their wives that they are not treating their wife as the glory of themselves that God has given them. And Proverbs 18.22 even talks about for a man who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from Yahweh. 
So when you find a good wife, God is blessing you with this good wife and you are finding favor from her. So how are you stewarding? How are you stewarding your wife? How are you stewarding your wife? How are you treating her? And many men use these verses in these passages, and I could spend way more time uh, developing this. I've written extensively on this uh, through some research I'm doing about how uh, Christianity viewed women in the first century uh, and how the feminist movement actually is needs to be rebuked because of the way in which women were viewed historically in Christian circles gave women way more rights than what the modern feminists are demanding or saying that Christianity did not. But here's what I want us to look at is that the passage here in 1 Corinthians is very clear. And the other camp too that rules their wife and makes them stay at home and they can't do anything else would agree with me up to a point, I think, and would say that, yes, women is different from man. And the Bible, though, views these genders equal yet distinct. In verse 7 through 8, it indicates that man carries authority delegated to him by God, and likewise the woman carries authority to her by God through her husband. And why is this? Well, again, Paul appeals to creation in Genesis chapter 2, 9 through verse 23. Man came from God, women came from man. But that doesn't mean that man is going to sit there and be like, see, honey, you know, you came from me. Therefore, now uh, you have to listen to what I say. Well, think about this. What role did Adam play in the creation of woman? He existed. That's it. God took a rib, created woman from man. So he can't say that he sat there with God and said, God, I want you to go ahead and create me a helper. No, God said you need a helper. It's not good that you're being alone. God did all of the work. God did all of the work in creating and uh, producing woman for man. And so we need to be a good steward with what God has created for us and has given to us and steward it properly and well. Now, verse 11 through 12 of this passage in 1 Corinthians, I think it truly helps us interpret the passage that all believers, men and women, are equal in the Lord and are also complementarian in the Lord's work as they do this together as a unit for the glory of God. So if you're thinking I'm going to take an egalitarian stance here, you're wrong. It is a complementarian stance. The women complements the husband, and the husband must be able to lead his wife properly. Their roles are different in function and in relationship, but not in spirituality or importance. And you can look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 to see what I mean with that. Now, on the flip side of the overbearing alpha male Christian, which I could harp on that, we have the beta male Christian who does not actively lead his wife, who does not actively lead his family. He doesn't love his wife. He doesn't teach his wife. He doesn't nurture his wife. But again, look at verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 11. The woman is the glory of man. Now, Paul continues this in Colossians 3.19 to kind of give us more support as if you need more. Uh, but hey, whatever, let's go with it. Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. That word embittered in the Greek, all right? The word embittered in the Greek, which means, literally means to make bitter, to produce a bitter taste in the stomach. What does this mean? Let's read that now back into the Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives and do not make your wives bitter. Do not be bitter against them. Do not make a bitter taste in your mouth when you talk or work with your wife. Now, Paul gives us another look into how husbands are supposed to treat their wives as well. And I'm saying all of this to kind of combat the idea and the ideology of, if I say, make me a sandwich, make me a sandwich. Well, you may be thinking, Ethan, no one says that. Yeah, yeah, they do. There's a book. It's good to be a man. His name is, I'm looking at his book right now, Michael Foster. And that's what he thinks. That's what he's pushing. That's what he's purporting. 
and he uses scripture, all different portions of scripture and exegetes it. And some of it, he does a decent job and then others he does wrong. And he just arrives at a false conclusion. So in Ephesians chapter five, verse 33, Paul says this yet again, nevertheless, each of you must also love his own wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. See, there's a twofold promise and command in this is that one men must love their wives as he loves himself. And when you do that, look at what follows. The wife must respect her husband. Your wife should desire and should respect you. If you are leading your wife right and you are both believers seeking after God, spending time in his word, it's not going to be hard for your wife to say, I will listen to you, husband. I will respect you, husband. But I would say it's very difficult for wives to submit and respect their husbands when they are not upholding and fulfilling their God-given role as a man, as a masculine man to lead the family, to protect their family, to nurture their family. What steps are you doing, men, to nurture, protect, and to guide your family? How many of you are willing to, to protect your family should trouble creep at the door? If someone's coming into your house, would you say, wife, go take care of it? Or are you saying, stay in bed, I'm going to go take care of it? See, I'm not trying to talk now into like, a, you know, a man's got to have tactical training. I think that's important. I personally believe this is my Ethan from First Opinions. Ethan believes that all men need to learn some form of martial arts. I, I personally believe jujitsu is an incredible uh, practice for men because it teaches you discipline. It also teaches you uh, control. It shows you uh, how quickly things can go bad in a fight. And it also lets you know that you know when stuff hits the fan that you are able to protect your wife and your kids. And I want to challenge you to ask yourself, if something was to happen, would I actually be able to protect my family? Have I taken steps in training myself to protect my family? Now, this goes both in the physical and in the spiritual sense. I don't think you can have one without the other. I think it's a both and, not an either or. And if you look all throughout the Old Testament and even sections in the New Testament and everything else, you see that men are the guardians. They are the protectors. The men are the ones that are the warriors of Israel. The men are the ones that are the generals, the conquering kings, but not conquering kings to establish your own dynasty, but the conquering kings to give honor, glory, and praise to God. That, I mean, that's the whole intentionality and motivation behind why you need to be an alpha Christian male. So... Another, another section here I want to highlight is why is it important for us as men to understand what Scripture says and what the Bible says about being a man? Well, in Titus chapter 2, this is a gorgeous section on generation, intergenerational discipleship, but I'm going to read Titus chapter 4 here real quick. It says, in this way, they will train the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children. Well, who's the they? In this section. Well, if you look at the preceding verse, it's the older women are likewise supposed to train the younger women. And if you also look in this passage too, the older men are supposed to be training the younger men. So Paul's charge to Titus as he is starting churches on the island of Crete, he's finding elders, getting them healthy and training up these men and teaching the men and women what Christian conduct is supposed to be, how it's supposed to be lived out. He's telling them, guys, you've got to be training each other. You've got to be leading each other. And it starts with the man. 
the elders and the role of elder and pastor is for men only. Paul's very clear on this in 1 Timothy 2.12, where he does not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to learn with all submissiveness. A man's role in the church is to be a leader, the spiritual leader, but also the physical leader. In Acts chapter 20, you see that uh, Paul gives a warning to the Ephesian elders that there will be fierce wolves coming among the flock. And you must oversee them. You must shepherd them. This is an active verb. This is an action. This is something in which you are to po- supposed to be continually looking for, being on the lookout for, and physically being able to throw hands and fists with anyone who comes in to subvert the doctrine, the good word that you were taught, but then also to protect those under your care. As a shepherd takes care of the sheep, the men are to take care of the families. I mean, there's biblical principles all throughout this to support not just the spiritual nourishment, but the physical nourishment. And if anything, if, if I'm giving men a long leash here, men are, in my opinion, potentially spending more time in the physical by hitting the gym, going to the shooting range, by doing all of these other physical activities. But the thing that they lack and they continually lack and just neglect more than they do anything else is the spiritual development, the, the, the item that actually can change, shape, revolutionize your family, your marriage, the way in which your kids respect and obey you is by understanding God's word, applying God's word, living God's word, teaching God's word, speaking God's word, being consumed with God's word. All scripture is profitable. So men, you've got to be in God's word. You need to know how to properly lead your families and your wives to be the alpha male. You must understand, know, and learn the word of God. You must teach and train your family, teach and train the younger men. And here's a sad statistic. The U.S. Census Bureau reported that there's over 18.4 million children, that's one in four, that live without a biological step or adoptive father in the home. In addition to this, we as men must not be that part of statistics. We as Christians cannot, cannot be engaging in sexual promiscuity. If you're dating and you're sexually active with your, your, your girlfriend, and this goes for the women too, you must not be sexually active. You are violating God's revealed will. And those seeds that you sow this early on in your relationship is going to fire back and have detrimental consequences with you. Now, the big thing too that I have seen, and sadly, I've I've talked with my wife and I, you know, with Deeply Rooted Magazine, I've been exposed to a lot of Christian women's uh, conferences and talks and books. And the biggest thing that I hear consistently throughout the Christian evangelical world is women complaining that their husbands aren't leading the families. And then the other thing I hear from the single women is that there's no good godly men out there, that these men are more interested in other items, other extracurricular activities, or that the the men then flip and say, well, I'm going to pursue you. And then that's the extent of their pursuit. They feel that because they give voice service to telling the woman, hey, I'm going to pursue you, that that's it. That now the responsibility is on the woman to come back and pursue the man. When you are pursuing a woman, if you're in the dating relationship, the way in which you pursue a woman is not by taking her out on dates, is not just by making her laugh, figuring out her her favorite stuff, um, and everything else like that. The way in which, um, in what you are reading, and you're like, ah, I'm I'm not really reading that right now. But what I am reading a lot of is book X from author Y, and it's really been helping me out. What you think about this? 
take that thought process into the future. Would she want to marry a guy who's investing zero time, energy, and effort into the transformative word of God, uh, only to think and pray and hope that when they get married, maybe then he will have a passion for the word of God. Guys, it's, it's what you do now. It's the disciplines and habits you create now. It's a way in which you conduct yourselves now that is going to set yourself up for success in marriage. Men, you've got to set a high standard for yourself. You have a high standard for the type of woman you're looking to date. You have a high standard for the type of woman you want to marry, but you are keeping a low standard of following and abiding by God's law. When you get married, it does not get easier. Leading your wife is not easier. And if you put in the time, energy, and effort in your training right now in studying God's word, adapting and adopting and submitting your life to God's word, it's going to help you in leading your family. It's going to help you in leading your wife because marriage is not hard. Uh, excuse me, it's not easy. It is hard. It's very hard. You know, when Diane and I first got married, um, I was stationed up in Spokane, Washington, and then we, uh, we moved down to California. I was gone a lot. Uh, I was gone uh, constantly on training trips and everything else. And it showed me the amount of quality time I needed to have with my wife. And quality time is not sitting on the couch watching a movie together. Quality time is getting to know the inner workings of your wife, the inner workings of your spouse, hearing her heart. What is God teaching her? What is she learning? What is she struggling with? Because we are all imperfect people. None of us are perfect. You're not perfect. Your future wife will not be perfect. Your kids absolutely will not be perfect. Your job won't be perfect. So what are you doing now to kind of set yourself up for success and manage your expectations? Because if you have an expectation that once you get married, things are going to be golden, you're wrong. Now, on the flip side of this, women, I want to challenge you real quick. If you're in the dating relationship and you're looking for a man, set a high standard. Set a high standard for uh, a man of God. Is this man actively in scripture? Does this man know what he believes? Can he articulate what he believes? Does he lead you and bring you closer to Christ? Uh, or is it like pulling teeth to get him to talk about the things of the Lord? Is it tough for him to ever uh, want to go to church? Is it tough for him to want to serve in the church? Is it tough for him uh, to dedicate himself to something beyond himself and beyond his, his pleasures, such as sports or other extracurricular activities? Set a high standard, set that standard, and don't compromise on that standard. Men and women don't compromise on that standard, and the standard on which we should have everything built upon is the Word of God. So what I'm hoping is that you are seeing that men, you must spend more time on your families rather than yourself, but sadly, that's not the case. Now, here's another verse I love. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. Paul says this, stay alert, stand firm in the faith, show courage, be strong. Everything you do should be done in love. So this goes against the culture's mantra of what an alpha male is supposed to be. This macho bravado, ready to go to fight, uh, picking fights, super arrogant, outspoken, loud. I mean, Proverbs talks about all that. Look, verse 14 of this says, everything you do should be done in love. So for the cultural standard of an alpha male, love, I don't think would find its way in that unless it's referring into the sexual nature. But for a Christian alpha male, everything you do and how you are doing it should be done in love based off of what scripture defines as love, not as to what the culture defines as love. So how do we do this? We do this by staying alert and standing firm in the faith and showing courage. That word show courage, that word show courage in the Greek translates to to make a man or of making a man brave. 
That show courage means to make a man and to make him brave. Not brave in the sense that you're willing to go run into the highway, not brave in the sense that you're going to go, you know, run the front lines, but brave in the sense of how you're standing firm in the faith. The bravest thing men can do and how we can show courage is to be a man of the word, to submit themselves to God's word and what is revealed. This is done by demonstrating restraint, showing humility, being kind, love, and patient with your family. I've traveled around the world and I have trained and worked with several different individuals from many different countries. And there was one country I was in uh, doing some work and I had a, a question come to me from a guy who I was training for some future combat stuff. And he asked me, what do I do if I'm captured and they kidnap my family and state they're gonna execute my family if I don't give them what they want or help them? That blew my mind. Um, and it put several things in perspective for me. And it really shouldn't have shocked me because of all the things else that I've seen. But I took three major points away that I wanna kind of convey to you guys. First off, with that statement that just rocked my world where this guy was having to combat the real threat of his family getting killed if he gets captured, or if they find out who uh, that, that he's a part of the military for this country, is that we as Americans are way too comfortable and way too complacent. The second thing is that there are men throughout the world who are facing real problems, real threats, and death. Going to Starbucks and getting the wrong order on your coffee is not a real problem. That's a first world country problem. Having to fill up your gas because, you know, oh man, this is so annoying. I've only got a quarter tank. That's not a real problem. Um, having to deal with a coworker who maybe, you know, is a little annoying. That is not a real problem. Put some things in perspective. There are Christians in other countries getting killed for their faith, persecuted for their faith, and we're going to sit here and complain that we've got it so bad. Men, grow up. Grow up. Put some things in perspective for yourself. And then the last thing that uh, I was reminded of that I've constantly remind myself of is death is certain. Now, there's a phrase I like to remind myself of that uh, I've seen floating around as well. It's a Latin phrase called memento mori. And this Latin phrase means remember you must die. I think so often we assume and like to think that we're promised tomorrow. I think we'll assume that, you know, I'll fix that later on, or I'll spend more time with my kids when they're at an older age in which I can relate to them more. I've had several fathers say to me, ah, you know, from the ages of this to this, I couldn't really relate to them. So I let my wife take care of it. But you know, once I got to the age of 12 and over, then that's when I could step in and really be a dad. Shut your mouth, dude. Those are your kids. I don't care if they're two months old or 20 years old, they will always be your kids and you must always protect and guide and nurture them. Don't wait till it's convenient for you. Step up and be a man and be a good steward with what God has given to you. God has blessed you with kids. Lead and spend time with those kids and stop looking at them as a inconvenience. Stop looking at the kids as if they're a, a hindrance to your future goals. No, if God wanted you to attain those other goals without kids, he would not have blessed you with kids, but you have kids. You are blessed with those kids. You can still achieve those goals, but not at the cost of your family. So put some things in perspective. Don't think that you'll have time later on with your kids. The most formative years for the kids is early on in their life. And the foundation you lay for them as young children is going to have a ripple effect later on. If you think because you didn't, you know, 
you, you buy them Christmas gifts and you've got them a cell phone and you've got this other stuff that that's going to somehow make them loyal to you. You're wrong. Kids want to spend time with their father. Kids want to spend time with their dad. They want to spend time with their parents. I know that a lot of us think that, you know, death is something that's going to happen much later on. But James 4.14 says this, you don't know about tomorrow. What is your life like for you are puff of smoke that appears for a short time and then vanishes. We so often forget that verse. We so often forget that life is short. Life is but a vapor. We all think that there, that, that death is an afterthought and it's not until you've stared death in the face. It's not until you face death. It's not until you've faced loss that you realize things are get put in perspective. There's no better time than now, guys. There's no greater time to step up and to be a godly man than here. Now, in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 1 through 15, I'm not going to read the whole thing here, but I'm going to pull out some verses here to describe the current state of our culture and of men and why we've got to step up now. We've got to step up to be alpha Christian males. And Isaiah chapter 3, I want to look at verse 4. It says this, And I will make young men their princes, and capricious children will rule over them. So this is condemnation that's happening. This is Isaiah. Uh, this is during the time of Hezekiah's reign. This is during the time in which um, the northern country of Israel is getting overran with Assyria. Assyria is moving down into the southern kingdom of Judah. It looks bleak. But where are all the godly men at? Why is it that these children are ruling over the fathers? It's because the fathers are beta. The fathers are lacking. The fathers are not fearing God. They're not following his statutes. They're not following his law. Now look at this. In verse 13, skipping down here, Yahweh takes a stand to contend and stands to judge the peoples. Yahweh enters into judgment with the elders of his people and his princes. It is you who have consumed the vineyard. The plunder robbed of the afflicted is your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the face of the afflicted, declares Yahweh of hosts. This section here, is talking about the current situation, our society. We are the ones destroying this country by not stepping up. We are men fighting each other. Children are usurping their parents and are dictating what decisions they get to make. If a kid at this young age is able to say that they think that they can change another gender and the parents aren't stopping this, that is the culture leading the family, not the mom and dad leading the family, and specifically not the man stepping up. Verse 8 is describing men who defy the Lord. And verse eight says this for Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their tongue and their deeds are against Yahweh to rebel against his glorious presence. See, men, we, we must have our tongues and deeds in line with what God has commanded, not against, not violating his revealed will. We must do what God has commanded us to do. And what's interesting too, is in verse nine, uh, I think this is also applicable in our society too. And verse nine says this, the expression of their faces answers against them, and they declare their sin like Sodom. They don't even conceal it. Woe to their soul, for they have dealt evil on themselves. Men are out here bragging about the amount of sexual promiscuity they're having. They're bragging about what they've done, where they've been, all this other stuff, and they're not even concealing the, the hiddenness of their sin, which is what typically most men do. But what this is describing is a debaucherous lifestyle of a culture of people. And that is our culture where men can openly have relationships. Marriages are now pushed into the back burner. Marriages is not a, a holy union between two believers. Marriage is now something as more of a means to an end 
Um, I've talked with other couples and I've said, well, why have you decided to get married? They thought, well, you know, we just thought like, if we don't get married, then we're probably going to sin by having sex with each other. And I said, so is the whole motivational factor for you guys getting married is so that you can have sex? I'm like, well, that's not the only reason, but that's a main reason. I'm like, well, what happens if the sex uh, stops? What happens if you physically are unable to do it? And they both looked at me puzzled. And I'm like, that's a definite possibility, but you're assuming that you're always going to have whatever it is that you're thinking in your mind. But what happens when that standard isn't met and those, un those expectations are unmet? That's not the way you want to start a marriage. You want to start a marriage because you both are seeking after Christ and the husband's leading the wife to point to Christ. The wife is encouraging the husband, guiding the husband as well, and is there for the husband is to help lead and take care of and nurture the children. That's what marriage is. And so what happens so often is that we see in scripture that God enacts his judgments on societies and cultures when men who do not follow what God commands them to do. When mankind usurps God, disobeys God, God judges them. And when God judges men, he will use another means and another method. The book of Judges is a beautiful example of this. In Judges chapter 4, we see uh, the inference of a woman prophetess named Deborah. Now, uh, I'm not going to get into this right now, uh, where some people are like, wait, there were women prophetesses? Yes, but not in the same sense in which a uh, the Isaiah was a prophet, Micah was a prophet, in which prophets were elected and called by God to give his divine revelation to the people. In the instance of Deborah, Deborah was elected and called by God to give divine revelation to a man only. The man was Barak, and it was for a specific instance of the battle that he was fighting. And he gave him the word, she gave him the word, Deborah gave him the word concerning the battle that was taking place, but then after that, she never again did the work of a prophet. God used her for a short, short time for a specific purpose because mankind was desperately wicked and it was God's way of enacting judgment of man by saying, look, you men aren't stepping up. You men are not following me. Guess what? I will use a woman to do so and that should be humiliating to you. This is not downplaying women. This is not me nagging or being nitpicky with women. In fact, God uses women in many mighty ways, many mighty ways, but in this type of an instance, uh, this was a role that was typically held and reserved for men, but when a society is inherently wicked and depraved, God will use other means and methods to humiliate and to shame the wise, to shame the men, to say, look how wrong you are. Look how you are violating my principles. And what's interesting is the context for how we know that Deborah was a prophetess because there is no man is found in Judges chapter 5 verse 7. It says this, Warriors were scarce. They were scarce in Israel until you arose, Deborah, until you arose as a motherly protector in Israel. This is interesting because the word warriors were scarce. That means that the leaders and godly leaders were nowhere to be found. This is happening now, men. In our society in America, this is happening now. The men are not stepping up. The men are capitulating and are giving over and seceding territory and ground to the culture and the women are having to step up because the men are not stepping up. Men are sitting back and doing nothing in regards to the spiritual role God has given them. Now, here's some practical steps uh, for you to start becoming an alpha male uh, as a Christian, a Christian alpha male. I don't even know if you can use those words in conjunction, but I'm doing it. And you can judge accordingly and you can throw hate mail my way. That's fine. Uh, but let's, men, we just got to get going. All right. Here's some steps. The first step is be in and know God's word. Know God's word. And not just be able to repeat it, but be able to teach it. Understand and go beyond the, the, the surface level. Get into the depths of the riches of scripture. 
The second one is confess your sins daily, daily confession. I cannot tell you enough how much that humbles you when you confess your sins daily. And you're also teaching your kids to confess their sins daily and your wife to confess her sins daily. The third step is be humble, be humble, not a false sense of humility, but actually be humble, right? Think of yourself less. The fourth step is learn to listen, learn to listen more than you speak. I don't know how many times I've, I've talked and interacted with people in which they dominate 98% of the conversation. I just sit there and I'm like, are, do you want me to respond? Especially too, when they ask me like seven questions sequentially and I'm pausing for them to take a break or a breath. Uh, but then I realize I don't think they actually want to hear what I have to say. Men, we can't be that way. Learn to listen to your family. Learn to listen to your kids. Learn to listen to your wife. Even if your kid comes up and wants to show you his Rubik's Cube for the umbillionth time, take the second and listen to him because clearly he, I'm specifically talking about myself now. My son is obsessed with Rubik's cubes and is constantly trying to show me this new algorithm he's doing. And for a while I was starting to get annoyed, but then I'm like, hold up, man. Like this is something he's passionate about. Like I want to get passionate about it with him. So I have him now teaching me how to solve the two by two, uh, which I, as a kid, I've never been able to solve, but now I've actually been able to solve it a few times. And my child has taught me and it's showing my kid that I can listen to him and I'm willing to learn from him. So what is that modeling to my son is that he is always able to learn from others. Even if they're younger than him, he can learn. And that's modeling Titus chapter two. All right. The next one, number five, show compassion. I think that's really hard for a lot of us. And that's not what the culture tells alpha males are supposed to be. No, alpha males don't show compassion. The most manly thing you can do is show compassion. Knowing that you have the power to do something and restraining yourself from not doing it and showing compassion and love and kindness to someone else, that's a true man. That, that is a godly man. That is a man who fears God. The next, the next one, section six, be sexually pure. That's sexually pure before marriage, sexually pure in marriage. And I believe that 1 Timothy chapter three, sadly across the state of churches, it is difficult to find men who qualify as an elder or an overseer. And one of the, the biggest things is in regards to sexual purity is you must be sexually pure. And the habits you create now is going to have a ripple effect into your future. So be sexually pure. Number seven, hate sin. I'm talking, you've got to hate sin. You've got to put sin to death. Don't just be like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. No, like hate it. Beat yourself up over it, confess it, and then move on and do not revisit that. You have to hate sin, hate things that God hates, love things that God loves. And then the eighth point is pursue righteousness, pursue holy living, set yourself apart, set yourself different, set yourself up to honor and give glory and honor and praise to God. And I'll leave you guys with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 through 14 says this, Paul says this, stay alert, stand firm in the faith. Show courage, be strong. Everything you do should be done in love. We already talked about this. To be an alpha Christian male is to be a man who studies, knows, applies, lives, and trains others in the word of God. Stand firm in the faith. We as men must be warriors for Christ. Not warriors in the physical combat sense, but warriors in the spiritual sense. Last verse here. Ephesians 4, 10 through 18. Finally, be strengthened in the Lord 
and in the strength of his power, clothe yourselves with the full armor of God so that you will be able to withstand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand your ground on the evil day. And having done everything to stand, stand firm, therefore, by fastening the belt of truth around your waist, by putting on the breastplate of righteousness, by fitting your feet with the preparation that comes from the good news of peace. And in all of this, by taking up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God with every power, prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And to this end, be alert with all perseverance and petitions for all the saints. I think that right there sums up how it is that we are to be alpha Christian males and why we don't need beta Christian males. Alpha Christian males take up the full armor of God. Alpha Christian males lead their families. They serve in their churches. They love their wives. They respect their wives. They treat their wives better than themselves. They take time and nurture their children. And all of this is grounded by standing firm in the faith, by upholding the trustworthy word that you were taught, by understanding it, knowing it, living it, breathing it, sharing it, teaching it, guiding your family in it. This is what you are to do as a Christian. So men, we have our marching orders Take up your weapons, be ready and willing to go to war for your family, for yourself and your church and against the evil one. He is continually attacking and we must be training and ready to go to war. It's only a matter of time before you find yourself and your family in a situation in which you will have to either give in to the world around you or be willing to make the tough decisions and stand your ground and stand toe to toe on biblical truth and make those tough decisions. So guys, I want to thank you so much for coming and listening to the Battlefield Theologian podcast. If you know someone uh, who would benefit from this, please share this, uh, send this podcast. Um, and also, I hope that if you do like this podcast, if you would not mind, give us a rating on Spotify or Apple. Um, that way it could help uh, increase uh, the visibility and the effectiveness that people could have in hearing scriptural truths. Um, I want to say thank you guys for joining us today on the Battlefield Theologian Podcast. I've got some other exciting news in the future about some small changes potentially with the podcast. Uh, I'm excited for it. You don't want to miss it. And as always, guys, stay rooted in God's word. And I'll catch you guys next time on the Battlefield Theologian Podcast.